We'll just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for Thy mercy to us. We thank Thee and praise Thee for the way in which the boys and girls and young people have sung to us tonight. And we thank Thee how they got us from the cradle in Bethlehem right through to the cross at Calvary and how they emphasized it's about the cross. And so it is. And we pray that I will touch our hearts tonight, that I will speak to us and do us good in our Savior's name. Amen. All right, so we have questions up here on the screen simply because I wanted to bring a prop with me tonight. And no matter what I asked, and I did ask a few people, would you have what I'm looking for? And would you believe it? I didn't have it in my house. My mom, who collects a lot of these things, didn't have it in her house. And other people I asked, they didn't have it in their house either. And it was too late, too late to get Amazon to deliver it, even though it might have been Amazon Prime and all that kind of thing. What I was looking for was that. So, a goose. And I'm not sure if you've got a goose in your house. Has anybody got a goose in their house? Just in case you have. Well, there you are. Had I known you had a goose in your house, I would have been knocking your door and begging and pleading and giving you a sweet or two so that I could borrow your goose for right now. Now, what I'm wondering is, you might have a goose, but do you have a goose as big as this one? Because... I heard the other week there was an elf got on the bus in Sandy Row. I mean, a big, full size, bigger than the child carrying it, elf that came, and it was going to come into the meeting here. It was apparently going to take a seat on one of my pews. Can you believe that? But it got banned outside and wasn't allowed in. Uh, but I would have brought this boy in if I'd have been able to get hold of that kind of a goose, because my story tonight is about the Christmas geese. Okay, the Christmas geese. And we begin by looking to unusual verses, I guess, in God's Word. In the book of Hebrews, the chapter 2, the verse 14, the verse 17, we read these, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. So that's you and me. We are made of flesh and blood. He also himself, that's Jesus Christ, likewise took part of the same, so he became flesh and blood like us, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and he came taking on a body in which he might suffer and bleed and die to make reconciliation, join together us sinners to a holy God, make reconciliation for the sins of the people. But that is actually a very deep and profound and wonderful set of couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 2, the verse, anybody know? Shout it out, it might be worth a sweet. 14 and 17, there we go. I told you. So the first row has got uh, something so far. Let's see how we go as we move on. Right, to get to these geese, did you know that geese, when they're flying and they go under a bridge, no matter what size the arch is, they will still lower their heads. More than that, you've got a honking sound that comes out of a goose, and that honking sound is actually, though it mightn't sound like it, it's a complex and sophisticated language by which they communicate the one to the other. And also, when they're going over, there's mountains in southern Turkey, and they're called the Taurus Mountains, and when they're going over there, there's a lot of eagles circling in the air, and they're about to just drop down and take a goose 
loose and have a good breakfast or supper or tea or whatever the time of day might be. And so what the geese do is, because they're making these yabbering noises as they go along, they put stones in their mouths to stop that sound going out to avoid detection as they go over the Taurus Mountains in southern what country? It's not on screen. Turkey. Absolutely right. In southern Turkey. That's what they do. Another uh, factor to about geese. And one is this. They perform a maneuver and it is called whiffling. Whiffling. Now, that was something I hadn't really heard about, didn't understand what it was, but I read up about it, and it's actually something really special that a goose does here. They can fly upside down. And why they do that is, if there's one of those eagles coming in or a hawk coming in, they will go upside down, and they can drop virtually like a stone for one or two seconds, just drop right down, and if there's somebody on the ground and they've got a gun, and they're deciding we're going to have goose for our Christmas dinner, and they're going to shoot it out of the sky, they'll just drop down for the one or two seconds, and then move on their merry little way. So they can do that, flying upside down, and let's check out one here, because they also do it when there are strong winds coming in, and then they can drop a level as well to avoid the strong wind at the higher level. So here's a guy, and there is no hunter on the ground, and there's no hawk flying from above, but I reckon what he's doing is he is just showboating. He's just a big proper show-off, showing, look what I can do in the sky. And he's got a mate because of another one. And he's doing the very same thing. That's what they're doing. Whiffling is the name, if you haven't heard that before. I might ask that in a moment or two. Who can tell? Up until the 20th century, if you were having Christmas, the high chances are it wouldn't be turkey on your plate, but it would be goose on your plate. And some people, I think one of the former prime ministers of Great Britain, Theresa May, said, there is nothing like having roasties, roast potatoes, done in goose fat. And maybe that's what your people do at home this Christmas, and you might be getting a big lump of goose fat, and into that your potatoes will be done up just to your satisfaction. Crispy, crunchy, all the rest of it. In Charles Dickens' Teal, a Christmas carol. There was a family there called the Cratchits, and they're sitting around the table, and mother comes in, and mother comes with a big plate, and on the plate there is goose. Now, I think they had applesauce and potatoes as well, and that would have been just a wonderful dinner for them. And even tiny Tim, who was a little disabled boy within the family, and he saw the other two young Cratchits around him, and they were getting really excited, and he started with his knife banging on the table and said in his feeble way, because he wasn't very strong at all, Tiny Tim said, hurrah, because onto that table had arrived the goose, and the mouth was just dribbling at the thought of, this is so beautiful and succulent and tender, and I just can't wait with the rest of the family to get tucked into this goose. Now, I'm going to tell you another story about a man, and that man did not believe in the Word of God, didn't believe in Jesus Christ, did not believe in anything to do with Christianity, the supernatural, or anything like that. He spoke against religion all the time, and at holidays, Easter and Christmas, and he didn't really like those either. And so, one night there was 
Well, his wife, uh, she would have taught the children, you should believe in Jesus Christ. He is the only Savior. You're a sinner. You need salvation. So she taught the children all about the Lord Jesus Christ. A carol service came to their farming community on Christmas Eve, and so they're going out to this carol service, the mother, the children, and they turned and say, hey, Dad, are you coming with us? And he says, no, I'm not going to that carol service. I don't want to be there. And it's on this snowy night. And he says to them, that story, you know, about Jesus Christ coming as a babe in Bethlehem, that story is nonsense. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? And he couldn't get over that and couldn't get his head around that. And he thought, no, I don't want to be part of that. You go to the carol service, just like what we are having tonight, though we don't have a snowy night outside. That night became even more snowy, and it developed into a blizzard. I do dream of a white Christmas. We rarely get a white Christmas, but I absolutely love to be at home and a fire burning. It's the only time of the year we burn a fire. And we can look out and see the snow and then have a good snowball fight. So if you're around my house, then uh, you what? You did it last year. I wish you told me I'd have been around in a jiffy a second and we'd have had a good snowball fight. You mightn't have been here tonight. Okay, so with the family away, this man, he sat down to relax. And he's sitting in front of the fire, and this is wonderful. And then, there's something going on outside here. What might that be? And he's looking around, and next, it comes again. And he's thinking, there's something going on outside, and I haven't a clue what it is. But when the snow dropped off a little bit, he decided I'll get away from my warm fire because he couldn't see anything through the window. There was too much snow coming down. And I'll open the door, and I'll brave it, and I'll get out there, and I'll see what the thump is on my window. So he opens the door, and he looks out, and he sees all around him tens upon tens upon tens of geese. Because those geese, in the snowstorm, they were flying south for the winter, they'd lost their way, and they'd landed on his farm, and they couldn't go anywhere else. And they were going round and round in circles and flapping their wings and everything else. And he's looking out and he's thinking, what can I do for all of these geese that are stranded here on my farm? There's no food for them, covered in snow, there's no shelter. Ah, he thought, there is a place of shelter. And he thought, I'll try and help them and get them to the place of shelter on my premises, on my farm, because he had a barn. And he thought the barn would be absolutely ideal. Can anybody tell me? You know that upside down motion? What is it called? Joel. Yes, oh, you got it before him. It was meant to be the guy behind you, but sure, it's far better you get in there fast. That's the way to do it. Yes, you're absolutely right. So, the barn would be ideal, the farmer decided, and uh, he goes out there and through the snow, and he opens the barn doors wide, and he thinks, ah, these geese will be really thanking me, whatever way they can, and they'll get into the barn, and they will be out of the cold, and they'll have shelter, and he watches them, and he waits, and they just flutter about. And they don't go anywhere near the barn. And he's thinking, why would they not? 
because they had no idea in their geese heads what open doors of a barn really would have meant. And so he thinks, right, I'm going to have to do something else. And he comes up with another idea, and that is, he goes around and he, woo, you know, scares them. Hope you didn't jump there. <laughs> I, I think you're wondering what I'm going to do next. That's all I'm going to do. You're safe. Yes, so he tries to scare them and get them to go to the barn. You know, go on, go on into the barn. And they just fiddled about and footed around and went anywhere on the field apart from into the barn, got further away. So we thought, right, another idea, back into the house, and he grabs bread, pretend this is bread, and he gets one, and he puts it here and there, and another one there. You just stay where you are, don't be taking these. And another one there, and he takes the bread, and he drops it the whole way to the barn doors. And he thinks what's going to happen is they'll take the first bit, and then they'll go for the second bit, and then before they know it, They'll be inside the barn, and they'll be safe and secure. And you know what? They didn't do it. They didn't take the bait at all. And so the breadcrumbs, they were just left there because they still didn't understand this could be for our good and our safety here tonight. So then he got behind them. Are you getting nervous? I go behind you. Yeah, he got behind them. And then he was trying to shoo them on so that they would run forwards and he would take them in the direction of the barn. But that didn't work because they scattered all over the place and they were really scared and frightened by what he was doing. They went in every direction apart from the direction of the barn that he wanted to put them in. And he's saying, and he's really frustrated at this point, why won't they follow me? Can't they see this is the only place where they will be safe and have shelter and will be secure, but those geese just couldn't see it. And he realized, kind of a light bulb moment clicked on in his head, do you know what? It's because I'm human. They're not going to pay any attention to me. They're frightened. Anything I do is frightening them rather than helping them. And so he said, if only I were a goose, then I could save them maybe communicate in their language, make noises they would understand, go a direction that they might follow. That's what he's thinking might possibly work. And so this bright idea goes further. What he does is, he goes into the barn, right through the barn doors into the very back of the barn. And in the back of the barn, he has his... Oh no, he's not gonna shoot them. Yes, it might be Christmas Eve, and he might think this would be a good dinner on the plate, but that wasn't his idea. Maybe that might have been your idea or my idea. I'll tell you what he did. In the back of the barn, he had his own geese, and he grabbed one of his own geese, and he thought, this is going to work. This is what I should have thought of right at the beginning. And so he brings it out of the barn and he takes it away behind all the other lost geese in his field and he lets it go. And that one goose of his, what is it doing? It flies through all of the other geese, past them, back into the barn, and before you knew it, the other wild geese were there, just followed one by one by one into the barn, and they're all now safe because they've been led there by somebody like themselves. That goose has brought the other geese in safely to the barn.
Then the farmer thought on his own words, and remember, he doesn't believe God, doesn't believe Christ, doesn't believe the Bible. He thought on his own words, and he had said, if only I were a goose, then I could save them. And suddenly, the penny dropped, and it all began to make sense. And he's thinking as well of what he had said about the Lord Jesus. What had he said? to his wife as he went off to the carol service that night. He had said something as to the reason why he wouldn't be going. Brilliant. Absolutely. There's a fellow listening right from the word go, not just two minutes ago. Absolutely right. Good man. Why would God come down to be like us? Why would he want to be like us? That's the question he had asked right at the beginning, and he realized, do you know what? That's exactly what God had done, and that's why he did it. God did this. We're going to have to get it back on screen here, and we've just done that. We were like the geese. We had wandered away. We couldn't be rounded up. We couldn't do what God intended for us, bring us to the place of safety and salvation, and so to bring us there, what did God do? He sent his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, but without sin, he put him in a human body so that, as a man, he could die on Calvary as our great substitute. And that is what Christmas is all about. God's son becoming like us, showing us the way, and saving us. And what this farmer did was, he just dropped on his knees in the snow that night, didn't care it was cold and all the rest of it, and he prayed for the first time in his life, thank you God for coming in human form to get me out of the storm, and out of the storm of sin he came by what Jesus Christ had done for him. And here's our message tonight, and you've been singing about it as well, and a little more about your song in a moment or two. Jesus did come for us. He came for me. He came for you. God, we read, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, God was, can anybody read that out for me? God was manifest in the flesh. Yes, uh, so we're back to you again. Front row, that's two packets of sweets. You must have been sleeping there. God was manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3 and 16. He didn't come as an angel, but he came as a man. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, 14 to 18, we are told that very emphatically. He was born of a virgin, and that wasn't just a fancy way or a unique way to enter into the world. He came that way for a particular reason. It meant that though he became man, he did not inherit man's sinful nature. So we have a sinless Savior without sin completely, and God needed on Calvary a sinless sacrifice who could die bearing our sins so that he could be our substitute, and that's exactly what Jesus does. That he should die was incredible. And I'm thinking your song again. Do you know which song I'm going to pick out of the ones you sang tonight? It's, that was the second one. It's actually on to the next one, if you can remember that was. It's about the cross. Because you were telling us, and you told us this last Sunday night, and again tonight, and you know what? I could listen to it again another Sunday night, no doubt about it. It's not just about the manger, or the angels, or the shepherds, or the bright and the shining star. Not about the wise men either so much. They are all players, and they all took part in the Christmas story. But it's about the cross. It's about my sin. 
It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about the stone that was rolled away so that you and I could have real life someday. It's about the the cross. Let's hear that again. It's about the cross. Yes, and so it is, and we know that, and that is the essence and the heart and the hub of the Christmas story, because the cradle, it leads us ultimately to the cross. Now, that crucifixion of Jesus taking him to Calvary, it was the crime of all crimes ever to be committed. And yet, in the eyes of God, no lower price could ever be accepted and would never have secured our salvation, our redemption. There was a hymn writer up in the city of Londonderry that wrote a hymn that um, we would sing at Easter time. There is a green hill far away beyond the city wall, and in that hymn she writes, there was no other good enough, not one of us, to pay the price of sin. He only, that's Jesus only, could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. By that mighty sacrifice, what did Jesus do? He paid in full the penalty for our sin. He shattered as well the devil's power. He smashed through the sin barrier that had separated our souls, sinful as they were, from the holy God. What also did he do by the cross? He presented himself as the only Savior. And if you and I are ever going to be saved, then there's only one single place of safety for sinners like you and I. And that one place of safety is in which person? The Lord Jesus Christ is exactly the answer. Now, I don't see the person who said that. Hugh, did you get that? The girl in the white? Okay, can you catch? Look at that. Yes, well caught or well headed. Okay, you should sign for a striker in a football team and you would get the goals, no problem. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, the verse 12, what do we read? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only Jesus saves. That is the message. And the only way I can go to Him is turn from my sin, that's called repentance, and trust in what He has done for me on Calvary, and that is called faith. Now, what I'm closing with is the verse of another, it's a 17th century Latin carol. And it says this, Amen, Lord, we bless thee. Why? Because you've been born for our salvation, O Jesus, forever. Be thy name adored, word of the Father, another name of Christ. Now in flesh appearing, what should we do of this wonderful Jesus? What should we do to him? Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord, because He deserves our love, our affection, and should be adored. And at this Christmas season, it would be, remember the farmer? Didn't he pray something? On his knees in the snow? It'd be wonderful if we should pray at this Christmas time. The words on the screen, Lord Jesus, give me at this Christmas time, grace and power to turn from my sin and turn to Thee as my only Savior. Now, for the Christian, and I should put a couple of lessons in here, for those who are already saved and the children of God and following Jesus Christ, another couple of lessons from the geese. And lesson number one is this. Why, when you look up in the sky and see geese flying over them, are they not just like 
starlings, all just in and through each other and just a big mass and mess as you see them up in the sky. But they're in a V-shaped formation as they fly overhead. Well, why do they fly in a V-shaped formation? King Solomon, who didn't write about geese, but he did write something very interesting in the book of, can anybody tell me what that large name is on screen there, beginning with E, the book of, somebody that hasn't answered? Uh, E... Mmm, it's a good effort, it's a good effort, good effort. But this girl gave a good effort as well. Yes, and I, I saw you say it out there. So brilliant. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to the verse 12. And what does Solomon write? Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. So if you trip over, your friend will pick you up and help you along. And then he also wrote on, again, if two lie together, they can have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, he's saying to do it on your own is pretty difficult. To do it as two of you or three of you is going to be helping one another. Helping one another. That's how the geese fly. What is happening in the air here? They're doing unity of purpose. One goose, the lead goose, he or she is out at the front. And they're doing all the hard work, you know, the wings and the energy, and they're doing all the business through the air here. So they're really doing that hard work. But as that front goose flies, she creates a little vortex of air currents behind her wings, and they're spiraling. If you can imagine like a plastic couple, whatever, they're just spiraling round and round and getting bigger as it goes out. Now, if you're immediately behind her, the spiral would take you downwards. But that's why they go in a V. They go slightly to the side of her, either side. And what happens is the spiral of air at that point is actually pushing you up and helping you. And so the geese coming in behind the leader, they make use of that vortex of air to push them up through the air and help them travel along even easier than they could. You will find every goose is flapping its wings exactly in sync and in time with the goose that is in front of them. That helps them all right down the line to make this constant use of the vortex of air, and it reduces the workload for everybody. It shares it around. And I'm told they can get up to 71% more efficiency by using this particular method. So if you see geese flying over a V over your head, you'll know these guys know what they're doing. They're working together with a unity of purpose. And the fact of the matter is, there are other benefits in flying in this formation as well, because those who are coming behind the lead one, and the lead one changes every now and again, those who are coming in behind, their much slower heart rates, they're flapping their wings less, don't have to do as much work as the lead one is doing. Now, what that tells me in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to work together. And when we work together with a unity of purpose, then we get things really done. A second lesson, and we'll be very quick here, not only the unity of purpose, but there's a necessity of power. And I am told by Robert Krustwitz, who wrote the book, The Wild Goose, I'm told by him that the goose is an old Celtic Christian symbol for the Holy Spirit. 
So not just pictured by the dove, but by a goose, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person in the Trinity. And that Spirit of God, He surprises us. He breaks in on us sometimes, disturbs our own plans. He pushes against our window, sends us in a different direction to which we thought we were going to be going. And as the Holy Spirit, He is passionate there's a lot of noise about his work. He comes down like this rushing mighty wind, and he is leading us on to do courageous things. And it reminds us the Spirit of God, like the goose, cannot be tamed or cannot be contained. But what must happen is the Spirit of God must be followed by the Christian. Let me be led by him. And then I'll do the things that are right. So the second lesson was the goose, and it's a picture in mm -hmm. No, I don't think you get sweets for that, but uh, you'll get chocolate on the way out. Don't worry about it. It's a symbol of what kind of Christianity? We'll give it, yes, absolutely, Celtic Christianity way back, and they were just not only looking upon the Holy Spirit as a picture of a dove, as it is in the Bible, but also as a goose. So that is our story tonight.